good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Hey, I'm so glad to have everybody back here. We are talking today about men's health. Part of my men's health series this month, all month long, yes, men, we're talking to you, and we're going to offer you solutions to continue to live a healthy and fulfilling life. And today's show is undoubtedly true, because here's what's going to happen today. I have assembled a super team, as I'll call it. <laughs> I have assembled a super team of expert clinicians to help us out. Today, we're going to be talking about focusing your mind, hashtag in the stigma. You know me, Dr. Mark Gomez, board certified internal medicine physician, practicing out of Naperville in Bolingbrook, Illinois, out of Edward Hospital. So I'm so excited to welcome everybody back to To Your Health with Dr. G. Today is my 40th episode, which is unbelievable. I mean, it literally blows my mind that this idea that my wife and I created over a year ago has really been, you know, we've been really living our dreams. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, living my best life. Not necessarily living a perfect life, because, you know, that's not something that's really attainable, but living your best life, doing something that I've wanted to do for a long time to spread a message of engagement and opportunity and equity when we're talking about eliminating health burdens in the communities we live in and for the people that we love. So I'm so excited to do, we'll have you guys back on my 40th episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. I want to give a quick shout out to my wife, Tiffany E.R. Gomez. I love you. Thank you for being my rock and supporting me through everything. And I tell you what, everybody, I cannot wait to bring you the next 40 episodes of this show. So, again, Dr. Mark Gomez here. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. You're listening here live on Facebook and also at Intellectual Radio Studios. So I'm so excited to welcome everybody back to my 40th episode, Men's Health Part 2. Fellas, we're talking about you focusing your mind hashtag in the stigma. And you guys are going to meet my panelists in a few moments because they are fierce. And again, I, I already said, <laughs> now they're laughing about that, but it's the truth. When you guys hear, when you guys hear the, these men, these fellas talk, and we did this show for the women last month, so again, I want to do a quick plug. Check out last month's show that we did for my Women's Health Series, and my goal was to have the women go first and have a fantastic panelists of, of just amazing women clinicians, and now it's the fellas, sir, because guys are trying to get you engaged, get you as, as engaged as your, the ladies in your life, and just so you can live healthy together. So the ladies that are watching us today, grab that man of yours, grab that, that father, the husband, the brother, the son, and grab them and tell them to listen, because here's the deal. What we're going to talk about today is something that's important for everyone out there. Mental health touches us all. We're human. We feel. That's quintessentially us. And so but we're going to talk about ways to engage and hopefully to persevere and overcome when we're facing against mental health challenges. So again, I'm so excited to welcome everybody back to the show. Before I introduce my panelists, i got to read you a quick disclaimer. Here we go. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So welcome back, guys. So, hey, here's how the show works. I invite a group of experts on, and then I pick their brains. They've signed up for this thing uh, willingly <laughs> and openly, but no, in all seriousness, I do have to pick them because it's my show. And so it goes back to my days when I was a medical student and getting uh, 
picked on and uh, by the attending physician and everything, so now the tides have turned. Uh, but, but again, we're all here to convey a message of engagement and opportunity, and what better way to do it than with this expert panel. So let me introduce my guests. Uh, immediately to my right, I've known this gentleman for a long time, personally and professionally. I consider him a dear friend of mine, and when I was coming up with this idea for, for having this show, I reached out to him, and he was like, I'm in. He's like, I'm game, sign me up. Let's do this together. So I certainly appreciate you, brother, for, for coming on out and everything. So let me introduce you to my good friend, Dr. Tom DiMatteo, MD, board-certified adult and child and adolescent psychiatrist, founder and owner, Wellspring Clinical Associates. Check him out, www.wca-il.com. Dr. DiMatteo, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. G. Hey, I'm so, Great to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I mean, we've known each other for a long time now, we and I'm glad we're able to do this and create awareness. And so, so thank you very much. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you do your medical school? Where did you do your training? And maybe a little bit about what this theme of today, ending the stigma in men, what does it mean to you? Very good. Uh, so I grew up in Arizona, which with Illinois winters, sounds very nice right now. <laughs> Wish I was there, but glad to be here in Illinois. Uh, went to school first at the University of Arizona for the College of Pharmacy. Actually received a doctorate in pharmacy. And it was during my pharmacy education that I realized that while medications are very important, uh, I wanted to treat the whole person. And Ashley was considering being a clinical psychologist, had some conversations with a professor of mine who really encouraged me to pursue medical school. Made a lot of sense very quickly, and so I shifted and went back to medical school also at the University of Arizona. Trained uh, then at the University of New Mexico for my adult psychiatry residency, and finally at the University of Chicago here for my child psychiatry fellowship. Uh, as you said, I'm the founder and owner of Wellspring Clinical Associates. have been doing that for close to 15 years now, uh, and at another practice in the area before that, board certified, as you said, child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry. Uh, very proficient with use of medications, but I think one thing that I learned very early on, even in pharmacy school, is medicines don't solve everything and in a lot of cases cause problems. So I'm really looking at the whole person, and I think that uh, this topic today that you have is vital. Uh, men are overlooked, they're maligned, they're embattled. There are many things that we could uh, talk about, and hopefully we will today, uh, to, to really help and support them. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. DeMondo, for coming on out. My next guest, uh, he and I have known each other for a long time, too. He's actually been on my show before, so he's no longer a rookie on To Your Health with Dr. G. He's a seasoned pro, without a doubt. An amazing gentleman. Uh, kind of a jack of all trades, which is great. I mean, I love having some conversations with him. And, and when when we did work on the show before, I was just mesmerized. I actually had him lead us through a mindfulness activity. You guys will learn about mindfulness later on today. But I had him lead us through a mindfulness activity mid-show, and I kind of thought about it. I go, man, we should have did that at the end of the show because I was really super relaxed. I'm like, okay, we got to talk for another half hour <laughs> after this. You know, it should have been a way to kind of fade the black. But it is what it is. So <laughs> that's so funny. We live and learn without a doubt. So I do want to welcome back my good friend, Mr. Todd Fink, certified alcohol and drug counselor at Linden Oaks Behavioral Health. He's an artist. He's a speaker. Check him out. A couple different websites, www.eehealth.org, also www.michaeltoddfink.com, as well as www.thegivingtreeband.com. 
Todd, welcome back to the show. Nice. My second time, and uh, I'm catching up with uh, Katie O'Donnell, <laughs> and I hope to be part of the Five Timers Club. Hey, eventually. you could. We can make it happen, brother. There's no doubt about that. Tell us a little bit about where you did some of your training, and really about where, what this theme today means to you of engagement for men in mental health. Well, uh, I studied psychology and music at Georgetown University, and then I jumped right into both after college uh, t almost 20 years ago. Started practicing group counseling, mostly with Lyndon Oaks, and uh, I've been touring as an artist for the past 15 years or so. I had uh, many years where I was probably in about 100 cities a year, and in between tours I would, I would work for the hospital and see patients in the outpatient setting mostly over the last 10 years. And in the last uh, maybe three, four, five years, I've done a lot more speaking and leading workshops and seminars and retreats and trying to integrate all of my experiences studying cognitive science in school and, and then having my experiences with creativity and learning more about the brain. And along the way, I, I got certified in mindfulness meditation, but my meditation practice has kind of run alongside of all of this for about 20 years, and it even led me to longer and longer retreats, including a six-month retreat in India, mostly in silence, and so I got to learn more about focusing the mind. And the perspective on wellness from another part of the world was, was really important to me, too. And in terms of the topic today, like men, mental health for men, is um, it, it, there's some alarming statistics that would be good good to jump into. I think there's three or four more suicides in men uh, to women. Um, if you look at something like the school shootings that um, that continue to increase since 1970, I think there's only been one school firearm-related incident that was perpetrated by a female. There was one other one, San Bernardino incident, that it was a, a, a both a, a, man, a boy and a girl. But that alone says something about uh, the upbringing of men and uh, cultural influences, because you don't see this happening in most other uh, Western nations. So what's behind that? Uh, what's behind violence in different cultures for, for men and, and in American culture? And I've tried to create more and more resources based on my experiences and, and my understanding of mindfulness meditation. I, I started a meditation page on my website, uh, which is called The Kind Mind Studio, which is building off of my podcast, which is called The Kind Mind Podcast, where I try to integrate all these things. And, and I bring this in seminars and lectures to men, especially in municipal settings. I go to a lot of cities, and I talk in settings where you you might not easily make that connection. Almost every time I arrive to speak to first responders, to speak to firemen, to speak to police officers or construction workers, it's like this, the team there will stop me and say, now, we don't normally get a good turnout because this is mental health stuff or this is wellness stuff. And I'm always surprised by that. And I think it speaks to the, the disconnection. And so it'll be good to explore what we need to do to overcome that and help men be able to, I think, feel confident or feel encouraged to explore what emotional wellness is all about. And I think part of that is maybe bridging the gap between physical health and mental health. I think just some of the language we use, like mental health and behavioral health, maybe adds to the stigma as well. So I look forward to conversing with, uh, with this team today, and thank you for having me back. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks, Todd. 
My last guest, he and I have known each other for a number of years too, and uh, and just just been a great partnership. We've done some work together about centering around diversity and inclusion, and again talking about equity and opportunity. And so I, I was like, when I was coming up with this show, I was like, okay, all right. He's going to round out this panel. It's going to be great as we talk about our super team. So I do want to welcome my good friend, Dr. Mark Browning. He's also a jack of all trades, uh, uh, board certified clinical psychologist, clinical director, Linden Oaks Medical Group Counseling Services, Linden Oaks Behavioral Health, Edward Elmer's Healthcare. Check him out at www.eehealth.org. Dr. Browning, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Hey, please tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you do your training? You know, your you know your background is quite interesting because you didn't necessarily go from point A to point B Absolutely. in life. Here's a little bit of a of a different of a detail, but circuitous. Uh, I like that word, circuitous. So, so uh, please tell us about your background. Where did you do your training? And a few opening words about what this theme today means to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, honored to be here, especially to be a part of the 40th show. It's Amen. a bit of a milestone, so thank you for having me. Um, I am actually uh, a registered nurse. Uh, I did my training at uh, the College of DuPage. I have an associate degree in nursing. I have a master's degree from the Illinois School of Professional Psychology, uh, and I also have a doctor's doctorate from uh, the Illinois School of Professional Psychology, Argosy University. Um, I've been working as a psychologist for the past uh, 10 years. Um, Cut my teeth actually in um, a quasi in a forensic setting. Actually, uh, my training was with uh, an agency called King County Diagnostic Center, where we did uh, psychological assessments as a friend of the court. So a lot of involvement in fitness to stand trial, not guilty by reason of insanity, uh, sex offender specific evaluations, things of that nature. Uh, when I left there, I actually went into private practice, and I was in private practice actually when I was found by Linden Oaks. Um, to help uh, develop a traditional outpatient psychotherapy practice with the Linden Oaks Medical Group. Uh, so in 2015, I uh, was hired by Linden Oaks and um, helped to start that outpatient practice. Uh, so we have seven locations across the western and southwest suburbs of Chicagoland area. I also oversee our behavioral health integration program, which you're aware of, uh, where we co-locate psychologists and licensed clinical social workers within primary care practices. So we're trying to increase the access um, and support uh, physiological health by providing professionals in a behavioral health setting who can help just enhance people's overall health. As we'll talk about today, uh, personally, I think that mental health um, is the start of all good health. Um, and it's very, very important that we attend to these things, especially for men. I have a heart for men, have always had a heart for men. Um, I think that a lot of the ills, maybe as Todd spoke about in our society, are perpetrated by men. Um, but I think also as men, we have a lot of power in changing our homes and changing our communities, changing our governments, changing our businesses for the greater good. If we can just take care of ourselves and come together as a community and uh, reach our highest potential as men. Excellent. Well, thank you. So now that you guys have met the panel, we're going to get right into it. So when people come and see us in the office, we call that the chief complaint. And, and really, that's the reason why somebody's coming in to be seen. And so our chief complaint slash question of the hour is really centered around this. You know, as a society, what can we do to destigmatize mental health challenges? And what are some of the unique challenges facing men when it comes to addressing their own mental health needs? And really what I think about, it's really about, I want to have open discussion and share experiences. I want men to do that. And and I think as we continue to do this, we can continue to help uplift each other, but also to, to streamline the communication. For example, say, 
say I have a patient and they need to see a cardiologist. I tell them, go see a cardiologist. No problem, doc. All right, I got another patient. Go see a lung doctor. No problem, doc. And I have a patient, I need you to go work with a mental health protect, pr professional uh, psychiatrist or psychologist. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. I ain't, no, 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 no. And so, and so there's a stigma right there, and I face, I face with that on a daily basis. So how do we start eliminating that? Again, you go see your cardiologist, you'll see your surgeon, you'll see your lung doctor. Why can't guys get into this kind of thing? So here we go. I'm going to ask this first question for uh, Dr. Damadio. So let's get right into it. Here we go. Will men ever get comfortable talking about mental health with one another? I think the question is in some ways needing to be rephrased. We need to say, what does it take to get men health, uh, comfortable mm -hmm. in talking about mental health? We need to diagnose the problem, but we need to find solutions for that. And I think that's really jumping a little bit past the question. I think the stigma for men is a lot more intense than it is for women when it comes to mental health. One of the things I've seen over the years in working, especially as a child psychiatrist, but as an adolescent and an adult psychiatrist, is that men feel intensely. Men have every bit, if not more, the emotional life that women do. But the problem is they don't have a language for it. Women are innately better at expressing emotion. They're more comfortable with language of emotion, and that's a real blessing for them. And it is a shortfall and a very big challenge for men to be able to talk about, to be comfortable talking about, to have permission to talk about emotion, to talk about what I would call negative emotions. Men a lot of times, and, and I would be interested to hear what you gentlemen think, are much more comfortable expressing anger. And I think that's why, in many situations, anger comes out more than sadness, especially in teenagers, when they present as young boys and as young men. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit the head on the nail. You know, it may be just a lot of guys, it may be just from societal norms and perceptions where, you know, guys have to be macho, we have to be stoic, we have to be resilient, but guys don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, and, and I think, as you kind of, as you basically said, women are so much better at it than guys. And so again, how do we continue this conversation? I, I would say one way to have this conversation is doing something like this and getting the message out right. uh, to people. Uh, but when it comes out to the day to day, that is really where sometimes I feel like I'm racking my brains. And there's no doubt. I think when I see people in my practice, you can certainly I would like to pick your brain and throw you another question right back at you. You know, I've got I've got more men that come in angry about something than I do about well, than, my, my, than my women patients. Men feel more comfortable with anger. Um, in and of itself, anger is not necessarily a bad thing if it's channeled correctly. Men feel weak, I think, often when it comes to sadness or depression because the energy around sadness is very different than it is around anger. And Todd, I'd be curious in hearing what you think about this, but Men are better at doing things. I think women innately are often better at being. And I think that's a real challenge for men, is how can I learn to be 
which I think is a little bit of a preview of the mindfulness that we'll talk about. Todd, please, please elaborate. That's almost what mindfulness is in a nutshell, is actually practicing just being. Because you're right, we're always needing to do something, and we're human beings, we're not human doings. And so mindfulness is really just the experience of just being, just being present. And I think you're right, it's a, it's a little bit more challenging for me to tap into that or to experience that. And I, and I agree with what you said about the energies of anger and depression. Depression feels like such a more defeating energy where it seems like you can actually accomplish something with anger. You can uh, change the environment through your anger. You can get control of whatever feels is feels like is slipping through your, uh, your control. You can feel powerful. You can feel powerful, right? Um, so depression reduces our energy and, and uh, zaps motivation and so on. And, and so that affects the ability to do, which culturally, uh, you know, there's that pressure to be doing, to be earning, succeeding, winning, providing, and so on. And, um, and yeah, it's going to take, I think, well, Already, you know, you mentioned if you if you refer someone to a behavioral health specialist, it's going to be like, like hey, hey, stop. But it's already yeah. hard to get a man to be seen for any health yeah, issue, yeah. right? That's like, true. That's, I have more women in my practice than men as a primary care right. practice. So it's like <laughs> to get past that onto mental health is is a challenge. So I think it's a matter of educating also and, and bridging the gap. So we got great clinicians and great specialists, and then we need people like what with what you're doing to bridge the gap and help you know help people find the way to connect with those resources and I think a lot of this is going to be around understanding the brain because most people know something about cardiovascular health and it's popular to talk about it this is good for your heart eat this, this is good for your heart avoid that it's not good for your heart and I think if we can we can accomplish that with the brain where people realize what you think and what you feel is, is related to your, uh, your neurobiology. It's related to, to, to what's going on inside of this organ. It's another organ. But when we talk about mental health as something that's independent of all of your physical experiences, that, that creates stigma because then men feel like, I have a mind that can overcome what my brain is doing. But when you get into an accident or, or you have some trauma or, or someone hits their head and is has blurry vision, it's a mental experience, but you can't just will your way out of it. And depression, sadness, and so on can be similar in that way, where it seems like I need to find something inside of me to transcend what's happening mentally. But if we understand that, no, this is actually something that uh, you could talk to somebody about, this is something that can be treated, and uh, it's normal, and it's common. Do you think, let me ask this question Dr. Brown, do you think, like, you know, I think about it in school growing up, you know, you'd have clinicians that would come to the elementary schools, you know, tell about here's the food pyramid, this is the program reports on physical activity. And so you have that kind of early intervention. Hey, here's kids. I mean, I went to my, my, my daughter's uh, uh, kindergarten in the past and it was like, hey, I'm the doctor for the day. And then we talk about, we draw the heart. And also, but nobody's doing that when it comes to mental health. Is that an appropriate thing to do? You know, and, I mean, should we be taking this conversation to the elementary, to the school districts? at a younger age and getting them exposed to this kind of stuff, just like how we're exposing kids to the food pyramids or healthy plates or cardiology stuff, art stuff? Absolutely. Both, um, whether it's for um, children in their academic environments so that they get a better education and knowledge of these concerns, because the kids are experiencing things at younger, younger, younger ages than, they, than we experience them 
as kids, that they're growing up much more quickly, they have so much more information coming in, and they're a lot sharper and more intuitive at a younger age than I think they've been in the past, so I think it would be beneficial. But to your point, I think taking the information to the community is very important as well. I had an opportunity this past summer to speak at a church on the west side of Chicago. Uh, we were talking about more or less mental health first aid, um, just like we have CPR, how we help to resuscitate people when they have a struggle. How do we recognize when there are emotional health concerns? Not that we, like CPR, when we take care of people, we're not fixing them, but we're sustaining them to get them to the, the appropriate care, whether that be emergency room, whether that be a physician. If we can take that information to the people so that people in our families or we recognize in ourselves when we might be experiencing mental health concerns, um, we can intervene early and make a difference in what's going on in our own lives. So the education is, is very much paramount, whether it's for kids in school, whether it's in the high school level, at the college level, or adults within the community, um, but also uh, just being willing to have the discussions and the, and the conversations. Because all of us are feeling these ways. We just, uh, oftentimes we need to know that somebody else feels the way that we feel and that this is not exclusive to us and it's not uncommon or unusual for us to have these experiences. I think a lot of, even in the pop culture, we're seeing more awareness. I mean, even, uh, let me even take a step back. I mean, yes, yes, the vernacular is so much more common today to have these kind of discussions, but it used to never be that way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and now we're getting more comfortable, but, but we still have so much more work oh, to do. Uh, and we're not even, like, touching the surface. Mm -hmm. Uh, because because we just got to do it, and, and, and it's like getting out there and getting in the people's faces, just like how you know cardiologists have done it for a long time. You know, we teach our kids early, don't smoke, show them a pair of, of smokers' lungs. But you're doing all that kind of stuff at an early intervention, uh, and then you know the way how we kind of grew up. And I'm just kind of kind of generalizing a little bit, but the way we did, we grew, up, we had those kind of exposures, but not the mental health exposure. And both, and you guys are really arguing today that that your mental health is too important to ignore. Uh, and I want to say that again, your mental health is too important to ignore. And so now we're talking about ways to hopefully help bridge the gap. I want to ask you this, Dr. Tamadio, you know, it's interesting, you know, being a child, a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, you've done a lot with so many younger people. Would you think from your end it's appropriate to intervene at an earlier age, kind of with the same corollary when we talk about heart or lungs or CPR or whatever? Is it important to to, to get in somebody's face at the early age? Absolutely, it's important. People need to be able to come up with these ideas and understanding that it is okay to express yourself emotionally and mentally. And as I said, especially younger children do. Uh, statistically speaking, people with mental health problems as adults have a higher likelihood of medical problems. Mm -hmm. We need to not forget that it is vitally important to talk about these things, not just for mental health, but for overall health. And I think, you know, to some of your points earlier, Todd, the idea that the mind is separate from the brain, is separate from the body, is, is one of the biggest myths that I think contributes to the stigma that we're dealing with. And starting early helps to break some of that cycle. Helping children to understand it's okay to get frustrated, it's okay to be sad. Not only is it okay, it's good to talk about those things. And it's good because you start to learn mastery of those things. You start to learn self-control. You start to learn that when you're having trouble, you have places you can turn to. So that is vital. Excellent. Let me ask you this question, Todd. 
you know, we're talking about, obviously, we're having this great conversation right now. Not all communities have the same resources to have this kind of discussion. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Brown just mentioned that he was doing some work on the west side of Chicago, which certainly is an underserved uh, community. You know, we practice out, almost we kind of practice out in the suburbs where we have more resources. How do we kind of get into those communities that need these resources the most? What's your kind of, kind of thought on that? How can we keep this conversation and make it equitable for everyone to have this kind of discussion? Well, it's not equitable right now, and I think that's important to, to realize and acknowledge, and it's going to take special effort to bridge those gaps. Um, I want to also add something to what Dr. DiMario said. Uh, with the mindfulness training that's coming into schools, I think, is going to help make this shift as well, because I think men grow up and they don't actually know what they're feeling. We're feeling, and we don't know until afterwards we look back at the, the you know, the, the wake, you know, of our anger or something, and like, wow, I was really angry. Um, but if we can help kids actually understand what is a thought, what is a impulse, what is a feeling, and how they change, what is your mood, and and to get into the healthy habit of just being aware, the same way that people look at the weather every day, every morning, people want to know what's the weather going to be like, for two reasons, to plan and to prepare. But in the same way we can teach children to do some like internal weather, some affective meteorology, and uh, have a sense of their mood, their energy levels. And then you, you can learn, you can teach people how to take care of yourself when there's sadness, when there's low energy. Like, what would be healthy then? What would be healthy response? And I think we're getting better at that, and to speak to the equitable part, it's like this is happening in certain parts of the country, it happens in places where there's more resources, there's a lot of progress happening with mindfulness in schools, and emotional well-being, and the training for that in, in California, and it's slowly spreading to other places, but we need the research. I think as more and more research becomes accessible and abundant, we can take that to more and more organizations and more and more systems and show the efficacy of in implementing these programs everywhere. I'm a big fan of, again, as we're talking about this, we don't want this conversation to go silent. You know, the fact that we're here today and I wanted each of you guys to be on my show, it's because you guys have a message, but you guys are very unified in that message of creating more engagement to hopefully uh, help people continue to live healthier and active lives. We're, you know, we're talking today in this finite amount of time, but this conversation cannot go silent, and I challenge people out there that are using the hashtag, I, mean, I haven't said enough, hashtag in the stigma, but I challenge people out there to have these conversations as, as part of a daily basis. No different than you're having a conversation about healthy eating, exercising, you know, going to see your doctor, uh, going to get your heart scan, or whatever we're going to be doing. You know, I want this conversation to be a daily conversation, but it's going to take a village, that old saying, it takes a village, it's going to take more of us unified together to say, hey, it's okay to talk about this kind of stuff. You mentioned, um, Tyler, one of the things... Uh, uh, as you're saying, you know, you're kind of saying like is do this internal assessment of the th of the weather, so to speak, an internal uh, assessment of yourself, and that reminds me because what I try to do every morning, and this is a just a common example that I, that somebody can do, I take five minutes after I wake up, and I just starfish, and I just learned about starfishing from my good friend Katie O'Donnell not too long ago last month, which is on the women's health version of the show, and literally I kind of like to spread myself out, I make sure I'm not in the bed so I don't accidentally hit my wife, but I get on the floor and I kind of say, all right, I'm spread out like a starfish, and I say, all right, you know, I'm vulnerable, 
but I'm gonna, even though I have, I'm human and I have vulnerabilities, I'm gonna accept those vulnerabilities, but I'm also gonna try to be resilient, resilient in my daily efforts. And I think for me, that helps set my tone for five minutes. That's all it takes. You can do that while the, while the water's warm up your shower, uh, but that's me, I've kind of made it more intentional and purposeful for me. But I'd be kind of curious to see like how you guys kind of talk to men about setting a tone to get through their days. So I'm going to start with Dr. Browning. How do you tell men to kind of set their tone to start the days? Well, I think what's common for most of us, and I fall into this trap all the time, is that there's so many things that need to be done. So as soon as I roll out of bed, oftentimes it's you're falling into your day and the things that need your attention. You're already on the phone, checking out what your schedule looks like for the day, meetings and those, those kinds of things. And really, really, not to harp on the mindfulness, but it really goes back to a sense of not just slowing down, but stopping. First thing, checking yourself, sort of regulating um, how you feel physiologically that day. What's on your mind? Was there, was there things that were keeping you awake at night so that your sleep was restless? What kind of things do you feel like um, are pressing on you that need to be addressed? Um, you know, and... and, and for some, the, the, the spiritual component is huge, to, huge, just to understand that this whole thing is bigger than you. And not only um, are you not in this yourself, um, that there's a power greater than yourself that can allow you to manage and function within the day and all the responsibilities, but you've been surrounded in most instances by a community of people who care about you and love you and want to see you be for, um, effective and reach your highest potential. Um, and that you don't have to carry all this weight yourself. So for me personally, um, I start the day with prayer. And it's like I give me the strength to be able to manage whatever comes today, the things that I can't manage, let me turn them over to you, and uh, let me be a blessing to somebody else. Because oftentimes um, it's interesting about depression, but it can be kind of a myopic view of your own stuff. So we really kind of hone in on what's going on wrong in our lives and really get locked in on that and kind of to the exclusion of the things that are constructive that are going on in our lives, the people who are beneficial in our lives. And sometimes we can get our eyes off of that and get a little respite from it by making sure that we're a blessing to somebody else. Who can we help today? Who can we assist? Who can we lend a hand to? Who is struggling? Maybe as much if not more than we are. And how can we be of benefit to that person? It's amazing how much that galvanizes you and shows your own self, personal worth and value. And, and has an impact on the other person in the greater society. And if we can kind of start in that way, I think it sort of sets the trajectory for the day. So let me ask this question to Dr. DiMario. How do you kind of approach things? Because again, you're, you're a busy clinician, uh, you're a family man, you know, you wear a lot of different hats, you know, being a parent, uh, a spouse, a clinician. Uh, you know, we have to kind of take up our own medicine, you know, and then you're giving out advice to your, to your patients. You know, how do you kind of set your tone to be able to do what you do? Great question. And Dr. Browning, I'm going to jump off what you said. I think spirituality is a very important part of this. There's so much I could say. Uh, we could probably fill 10 shows in response to what you said. It'll be a part two. Uh, I think that uh, one of the ways to start is the night before. Uh, and actually, in a sense, beginning with the evening before, yeah and considering the self-care that can come with nourishment, with a proper meal, with letting go of the day, and then with appropriate rest. It's very important. And then as I rise, I read scripture every day in the morning. I consider what the words are there. Uh, let those wash over me. 
And my prayer is that I can be a competent physician and that I can be present mm -hmm. for each of my patients as they come. Uh, that's a very important part of my day and how I started. Uh, but I think altruism, which is what you were speaking of, is something that is universally needed, but needed for each of us individually. When we turn to other people and look at what we can do for others, our hurts go down. Absolutely. Todd, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's beautiful things that uh, both doctors are, are saying. And I think to build off that, I would just say that what they're describing is mindful transitions through our day, through our life. If you learn the art of transition in a day, like you leave work, now you're in a new role. You're in the parent role, let's say, the spouse role. But if you're carrying everything and you're racing through these transitions, you get ahead and you get behind yourself. I think in the morning, the average American hits snooze 12 times. <laughs> so it already says something about intention. This is all about intention. People who live over 100 in our country, it's the fastest growing segment of the population. Those, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's happening all over the world. But those who are healthy over 100 have a pretty common uh, trait, and that's that they have rituals for, and this is what you're speaking to, I think, intentional rituals, which is like a, a spiritual moment. You put, you put the S in front of ritual, or SP in front of ritual, you have spiritual. And that's about being mindful when you have these shifts. And I think historically, this would be like sunrise, rising mindfully, tuning in to your higher power, or, or as uh, the doctors described, and in the evening, letting things go, setting things down, preparing yourself for the next day at night, uh, training yourself to be disciplined enough to get the, the appropriate amount of sleep and at a similar time and so on. And all that becomes an intentional way of life. But to have an intentional lifestyle requires that you have a sense of what's important to you. And I think it's a little bit different for everybody, but to do that kind of self-reflection and maybe identify five core values and then think, how would your life be structured around those core values so that it's guiding you towards uh, the results that you want out of the most meaningful areas of your life and that people can build their way that resonates with them. Well, I think that was, as you're really talking about, I love that intentionality on things. And it's something that is not, maybe the general public might think of, it might be more impossible to, to have, especially when they're, when people, are, especially a lot of men are faced with, you know, i got to clock in at 6 a.m., I've got three kids at home, you know, my wife, i got to do a million things, and, and it's hard. Um, to, to be intentional in, that, in those kind of moments when you always have to move or something's got to happen. And I think guys, again, we, we wear, you know, we, sometimes guys can wear their emotions on their sleeves, certainly when there's anger involved. Uh, there's no doubt we wear our emotions on our sleeves, but, but, but again, I think the challenge for us is how do we transition this to make this much more of an enjoyment uh, in our living? And, you know, I always say, like, you know, people can be stuck in a job nine to five or whatever time it is, and not necessarily be fulfilled in what they want to do. A lot of men, and then people can be fulfilled in doing other things. And I think I kind of kind of pick up what you were saying. I, I, you're saying like identify five core things. You're really talking about passions. Find something that you that that that, that gets a pulse in you. And if that's your passion, then then follow it. Um, because if you're not living, if you don't love yourself, if you're not living to the to, to things that you believe in that you that you're passionate about and you might be following somebody else's goals or ideas that you're not really living uh, your purpose and that can actually take away from your inner enjoyment in life. Absolutely, I think it, um, what you're speaking to, 
we become sort of, um, it's kind of harsh, but victims of circumstance. Like, we don't have any control in our lives, and we're just uh, on these waves without a rudder, and we're just being taken wherever the wind takes us. And hard is not impossible. I find myself saying that a lot to, um, uh, to men, to clients. Most anything that we want is going to be difficult for us attain, to attain. Um, but that doesn't mean that if we don't structure ourselves, if we give ourselves a plan, uh, a guideline, accountability, and the desire and the motivation to start walking in that direction, we'll be surprised at what we come away with. School is hard. I didn't, I didn't want to do the work involved in a, in a doctorate. Um, but because of the values that that was important, I made it a point to do that. I had supportive networks that came alongside me to help me do that. There were successes along the way that continued to encourage me, and it came sort of a, a self-reinforcing. And we can do that in our relationships with our wives. Oftentimes we don't want to talk about things that are difficult, but it's not impossible to talk about those things. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Will it require vulnerability? Absolutely. But if that is of value and importance, then we make a plan to do that and take the initiative to do it, and the results that we would get will be far different and far greater than what we anticipated. Let me ask this question to Dr. Demario. If a, if, a, if, a, if a man that you're, that you're seeing, you know, maybe they're on one direction path in their life, and, you, and you, you know, the great thing about being clinicians, you know, we, we get information from our patients that they might not even tell their spouse. And, and we don't take that, that information, um, you know, we don't take that for granted at all. But if you see like maybe a gentleman that's, that's kind of moved off his path that he was on, and he kind of gets lost. How do you kind of get a gentleman back on a path, a life plan that they were on? I think in some sense it depends on the specific circumstance. But part of that is to go deeper. Part of that is to wonder with this young man or gentleman uh, about what is happening. You know, I like to think about the teleology of emotion, the end purpose of emotion. Because I think each emotion has that. And I think in our society, especially with the powerful medications that we have that are uh, oftentimes can be very effective, people tend to lean on them and they tend to hide behind them. They tend to think that negative emotions should be medicated away. And I think many of these men that you're referring to will present because their emotion has driven them to that point. Or their emotion has perhaps aggravated their spouse or their significant other to the point where the spouse or significant other... You need to come in right them. now. You need to talk come in right now. Get in there right now. I'm done with this, right? But I really think that just like pain has value, pain doesn't feel good, but it is good. Pain alerts us to a problem. Our negative emotions do the exact same thing. And when men are struggling with anger, or struggling with depression... We need to not run from that. One of the challenges that I present to people as a psychiatrist is I say, wait a minute. We don't need to put you on Prozac right now. Okay, you don't need to be on Wellbutrin. <laughs> We're going to talk about this. Let's slow down a little bit. What is your feeling life telling you? You're off base. Just like if you twisted your ankle, you wouldn't keep walking on it. If you did, you'd have a lot more damage. It's the same thing. And so part of that is a kind of a congratulations to that person. Hey, you made it in here. You were listening. Let's listen deeper. 
Excellent. So, gentlemen, we got about um, we got a little bit of time left, so I want to transition. This has been just amazing discussion. You're really getting granular uh, um, into those kind of details of, of just the, the 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 challenges that men face, but also the opportunity taking what may be perceived as a as a negative situation and and learning from it and turning it into something positive. And I and I don't and I want I don't want to um, stress this. I can't stress it anymore. You know, if you're out there having some challenges, struggling. Uh, Talk to your doctor. I mean, one of the things we're, you know, we're having a conversation here, but 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 there's nothing will substitute having a relationship with your doc. Um, you know, they're there to rescue you if you need rescuing, but you got to take that step to go in there. So what I want to do, we got a little bit about ten minutes left or so. I want to dive into the myths versus facts. And this is something that I, I unveiled on the show a number of episodes so ago. And really, what I'm going to say is I'm going to say a statement. And I'm going to have my my panelists kind of say myth or fact. Maybe just a few sentences. We'll kind of keep it kind of rapid-fire, myth or fact. Uh, but we really want to try to set the record straight, and that's what we're trying to do on this show. So here we go. Myth versus facts, focusing your mind and men. All right. Here we go. This is going to say for, as the first one, the doctor, Demandu. Here we go. Here's a statement. Myth or fact. Medications for anxiety are addictive, so they should be taken only if absolutely necessary. Generally myth. Can you please explain? Some medications can be habit-forming. Many of the medicines that we use for anxiety are not, but appropriately prescribed and appropriately monitored, they can make a big difference in people's lives. Excellent. Here we go to myth or fact. Here we go, focusing your mind on men. The causes of anxiety disorders are usually rooted in childhood, so effective therapy must focus on that time period. What's your thoughts on that one? Well, I would say generally myth. You know, I think it's it's interesting to see how we all share some common ancestry with emotions and a legacy of anxiety. Our ancient ancestors needed anxiety to survive on the, in the hunter-gatherer days. If if you didn't feel fear, if you didn't get the impulse to defend yourself or to get away, and maybe some people didn't, they would be weeded out by natural selection. So we have this, but the problem in modern times is that it's being triggered by things that are not dangerous. I think we've evolved to have only one stress response, or one type of stress that we respond to, it's danger. And when things that are not dangerous are triggering our, our fight-flight instincts, we can learn to use mindfulness and deep breathing and other responses to develop a nuanced response to anxiety. But I don't think it's all about childhood, although it may be involved. All right, thank, thank you. you. Here we go. Dr. Brown, here we go. Here's a statement. Depression isn't real. It's something in your head and or it's being lazy. Uh, man. You got an easy so, one. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love that one for you. I'm picking on these two a little bit. Yeah. Um, so d depression is real. It's legitimate. It is not about being weak. And then, as Dr. Tom said earlier, it is not something that you can necessarily will yourself out of. It is an indication that something is wrong that requires attention. Um, I like the discussion about opportunity as well. If we, to piggyback on both what both gentlemen said, it's an indicator that there's something wrong that needs to be addressed. Um, it is an opportunity to address what it is that's taking place, and it is an opportunity for growth and development and, um, and healing. Um, you get the support of someone who knows from an academic, uh, professional background, uh, uh, and professional experience background, and you guys work together uh, to do that, and we come alongside you and support you, it can be a catalyst to a much, much more fulfilling life. 
Excellent. I'm going to give you a long, I'm going to allow this one to you, Dr. Tom. Uh, here we go. No. <laughs> here we go. Myth or fact. Here's a statement. <clears throat> Depression can develop in any age group, ethnic group, economic group, or gender. Wow. I give, you, I give you a lot. Absolute <laughs> fact. Please explain. Depression does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. Depression is one of the most common problems in medicine, not just in mental health. Depression is one of the top causes of disability in America. It is a very serious problem. It's biological, it's psychological, it's social, it's spiritual, it's all of the above. Pick deep. All of the above. All of the above. Thank you very much. Thank you. Here we go, Todd. Here we go. Myth or fact? If you eat right, exercise, avoid caffeine, and live a healthy lifestyle, your anxiety will go away. I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, um, a myth. I think it, it takes more than that to manage anxiety. But I think, I think part of the message of mindfulness is that the goal is not to eliminate emotions. I think that's part of our stress, is thinking that we have to make everything go away. And therefore, men in particular suppress their feelings, stuff their feelings, um, don't want to talk about their feelings. I think mindfulness isn't about feeling better, but getting better at feeling. You know, it's a lot like Amen. the weather that I mentioned before. If you're caught up in the storm, of course we would interpret it as bad or evil even. But if you're in a safe space and you can observe the storm, you actually see the beauty in nature. Similarly, when we can start to tune in to these experiences and allow them to flow through us and understand their meaning, their significance, and ultimately choose our response, it's not about curing anything. It's about really, I think, having a deeper understanding of the human experience and supporting each other like you've mentioned as a, as a community. Excellent. Here we go, Dr. Browning. Here's a statement. Myth or fact? Therapy can help you reduce worry and suffering and learn a different relationship to your own thoughts regardless of your temperament and how long neurotic habits have been in your life. So basically, therapy can help you reduce worry and suffering and learn a different relationship to your own thoughts. Fact. Absolutely. Um, it is pretty much what therapy is about. Um, it is a <clears throat> non-judgmental therapeutic um, trusting relationship in which you have the space to discuss um, not only the challenges that you're experiencing but to be open and vulnerable to someone else who can help you not give you the answers for what's going wrong in your life but help to illuminate blind spots because the answers are within you we can help you guide you to a position where you can determine what exactly it is in your life that's creating challenges for you places where you can grow things that require and benefit from having an attention, uh, the attention and developing strategies for going about attacking those things. And um, it's really, for me, it's, uh, therapy is helping people reach their highest potential. Everybody's going to have different levels of that, and there's always going to be separate issues, um, but it is one of the greatest opportunities for growth and development, not only in our physical health, but also um, our mental health, but also in our physical health. Excellent. Uh, please go just ahead. Jump in yes, jump in, please. Because I think as it relates to therapy, I want to speak something about medicine. Mm -hmm. I think medication is there to help people function. Therapy is there to help people grow. Absolutely. Medication's mm -hmm. function, as I see it, is to eliminate those overwhelming times, those difficulties in managing 
so that you can be in the best position to benefit from therapy. But therapy really is the primary avenue for growth, improvement, and health in this regard. And I, I don't mean to necessarily diminish medication generally, but when it comes to depression, I see it as putting medication as putting somebody in the position to maximally benefit from therapy. Absolutely. Um, just if I could just piggyback yeah, on please. that um, real quick. Research indicates that the, the, the greatest um, outcomes in treatment are through the combination of medica appropriate medication management and psychotherapy, the combination of, the both, of both. I see. I would see people sometimes, the diagram I would look at is it looks like two parallel lines. I would see people who were in a manic phase, who were way up here, who couldn't make any use of therapy. They can't sit down. They, they're hyperverbal, they're off the wall, you can't even get their attention long enough to do anything. As I've seen people who are uh, so profoundly depressed that their concentration is poor, they can't focus, they're not attentive, they don't have the energy. Appropriate medication management puts people in that range where they can effectively utilize psychotherapy and accommodation helps them get the best possible results. One of, one of my horror uh, situations is when somebody comes in after having fits and starts at therapy, not making a lot of progress, and uh, put them on Lexapro or Prozac, and a couple months later they come back and they say, well, we're not doing therapy anymore because everything's fixed. I say, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're just no, no, it's not. No, we're no, no. Just started, baby. We've got to back this up. We've got to back this up. This is not the intention here. And that's a good example of where... But we overshoot sometimes. And I'm going to do a myth versus fact myself because I want to participate. So here's my myth versus fact. Here's a statement. Um, mindfulness can be practiced daily and in many ways. And I say that is a fact because I try to do it. I starfish every morning, everybody. Uh, so that's what I do. But being intentional in your efforts uh, and intentional in your daily and daily behaviors can, can literally open up the world on a way to see it in a positive way, in a very non-judgmental way, and helping you continue to live uh, a healthy and active lifestyle. So we got about five minutes left, guys. So I want to bring this on home. We talked about at the beginning about the chief complaint, why we're here today, talking about ending the stigma in men, how we create more awareness. When people come in, when we're done seeing them in our clinical practice, we call it the, assess the assessment and plan. We give them their diagnosis. We give them a plan to, to march on home with, and hopefully, the most important thing, having a follow-up. So let's bring it on home. Dr. Browning, let's start with you. Give us a few kind of, maybe like a top three or a few couple quick pointers for men out there that are listening, or for the women that are listening on behalf of the men in their lives, what are a couple of quick pointers for men to be successful in ending the stigma of mental health, but also having success in mental health, period? Okay. Um, it's kind of a simple philosophy, but if you uh, feel like something's wrong, it probably is. If you're feeling out of sorts emotionally, your, your uh, emotions are out of control, um, you uh, are apathetic to the point that you don't want to be engaged in anything. Your thoughts are overwhelming to you to the point that you can't focus on anything else. Recognize that there's something wrong. And whether you go, I would suggest you seek treatment, whether it's through your physician um, or uh, a psychologist or someone along those lines, but talk to your wife. <laughs> I am a big advocate of that. Um, so recognizing that there's something wrong, taking a risk and taking the initiative, to be vulnerable, and um, having a mindset that think this is temporary, that things are and can get better with the appropriate intervention. Excellent. Todd, give us a couple of quick closing remarks. Well, um, I've loved this conversation, and I think if we 
take some of the energies that we think were stereotypically masculine, like courage, strength, power, and so on, I think we can still apply those to being vulnerable, being radically honest with the people that we love, and, and trusting the people around us. I think it's important for men, like, like Dr. Browning said, to, to talk to somebody if they feel like something's wrong. I mean, if you don't have that in your family, just know that there is help out there and, and to seek it out. And I think we, we need to do a better job bridging that gap as clinicians, and that's why we're all here today, and I appreciate that opportunity. Excellent. Dr. DiMaggio, a couple so, closing remarks. So I would say that depression is in part biological, and there are times where medication is important. But as I said earlier, it's very important to recognize that men are emotional and not to be afraid of your emotions not to run, especially from what we would call the negative emotions of anger, or frustration, anxiety, sadness, but to recognize that those are opportunities, and that's a word that we've used here, opportunities for growth. But we have to be trusting enough and courageous enough to step forward and get that help. Excellent, thank you. My closing remarks are this. Number one, I want people, men out there, talk to you, men, be honest about your experiences. It's important. You have to be honest with yourself and trust yourself, love yourself. Number two, realize that there are truths that can be modeled and passed on as knowledge. So again, when we're talking about it takes a village, we learn from experience. Seeing people in clinical practice, like the gentleman here today, who come in and see me, we have some experience. We can, we can be a resource of, for you. So I don't want the guys to not know. Guys, you know, there are resources out there all you have to do is just literally step through our doors. We want you guys to come in. We, we, want, we, we, we see you in a very non-judgmental way. We want guys to come in and see us. That's our role as clinicians, to do no harm. We want to help people. And lastly, we have to do this together to make measurable change. And I think if we do that, the possibilities are endless. So I want to thank my guests today. Oh, man, this has been a great panel. Again, I told you guys they were a super team. I want to thank my guests. Of course, we got Dr. Tom DiMatteo, Dr. Mark Browning, and Todd Fink. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for next week's episode. It's going to be great. Men's Health Series, Part 3, Ideal Cardiovascular Health. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Peace out.